Wednesday, December 12th, 2018. You are listening to the Daily Dose Sports Podcast, and I am your host, Clint Daly, coming to you from the Mile High City here in Denver, Colorado, and we are back for another day of talking sports with what is hopefully a dose of common sense. Hopefully we can brighten up your week just a little bit here and there by talking sports. Happy Wednesday to you. You know, it was on this day, December 12th, back in 1965, that Chicago Bears halfback Gale Sayers tied the NFL record for most touchdowns in a game. Dude put up six scores in a 61-20 to victory over the San Francisco 49ers. That game took place at Wrigley Field. You know, we think back, and we've talked about this recently on The Dose, to the glory years of the running back. You think back to guys like Gale Sayers and Walter Payton and Jim Brown and Earl Campbell and Tony Dorsett and Eric Dickerson and OJ Simpson and so many great running backs. And we used to see teams kind of build their teams, their offenses, their entire scheme around the running backs. And we haven't seen that as much lately. Like the running back has kind of taken a backseat to the passing game and the quarterbacks and the wide receivers and all those things. But here's something to think about. It sounds kind of crazy, but we've kind of seen a little bit of a resurgence of the running back in the NFL this season. Think about this. Both Todd Gurley and Ezekiel Elliott have already gone over 1,000 yards on the season. Hey, we've still got a lot of football to be played. We have seen some huge games from running backs this year. Christian McCaffrey had a game where he rushed for 184 yards. Isaiah Crowell went over 200 yards. Nick Chubb had 176 yards. Houston Texans running back Lamar Miller, he went for 162. Of course, we saw Derrick Henry go for 238 yards last week. Saquon Barkley had 170 yards just on Sunday. You know, for all the rules that the NFL has put in to help the passing game, help the quarterbacks, you can't touch the wide receivers, you can't touch the quarterbacks, it's almost like this year, we're seeing the running backs start to benefit at least a little bit from that. Now, here's my question, though. Because back in the day, back in 1965 on December 12th, what in the world was Gail Sayers doing scoring six touchdowns? He didn't have those rules in place. Like, he was playing with a whole different set of rules. He was barely wearing a face mask. Gail Sayers must have been absolutely incredible to watch in that era really would have liked to have seen what he could have done in this era. I have a feeling it would have been pretty significant. Hey, if you'd like to contact the show, maybe let us know your favorite running back in NFL history. We would love to hear from you. Hit us up on email, dailydosports at gmail.com, or go find us over on Facebook or Twitter. Both of those handles are at dailydosports. Maybe you have some feedback for the show. Maybe you've got a suggestion. Maybe you need a little advice. Trust me on this. We're really, really good at giving out advice. Either way, we would love to hear from you. Also, I know you're working on some of that holiday shopping. Make sure you head over to tpublic.com, search Daily Dose in the search bar, find some of the Daily Dose gear that we have over at tpublic.com. Got t-shirts, we've got hoodies, we've got sweatshirts, zip up and pull over, we've got cell phone covers, we've got laptop covers, a number of things with the Daily Dose logo available over at tpublic.com to help you knock out some of that holiday shopping that you know you need to do because Christmas is coming fast. Might want to get some of those things done. 
Hey, today on the show, of course, we will be looking at a few of the top sports news stories coming out. And then, you know, yesterday, we began looking at a few of the pretenders and contenders in the NBA, kind of starting to get into basketball now that football is sort of winding down. Well, today, we are going to continue that, but we're going to switch over to the college game. You know, for all of the problems that we have seen in college basketball, and the shoe scandals, and whatever these coaches have been doing, hey, it is still going to be a very interesting year in college hoops. We have a number of teams that can contend for a title. It's not just one. Might think it's just one. Trust me, there are a number of teams out there, and there are also a number of perennial powers, and I'm not sure they are contenders. They may fit more in the pretender category than the contender category. We're going to get to those in just a few minutes, but a couple of things coming out in the world of sports news. First, in college football, Kansas State has hired North Dakota State's Chris Kleiman as its next head coach. That is what K-State announced yesterday. You know, Kleiman has gone 67-6. and He has three football championship subdivision national championships while he has been at North Dakota State. Now, he will succeed, of course. Hall of Fame head coach Bill Snyder who retired earlier this month. Kansas State Athletic Director Gene Taylor promoted Kleiman to head coach at North Dakota State while he was that school's AD back in 2013. So he does definitely have some history with Chris Kleiman. North Dakota State says Kleiman is going to stay on as their head coach through the FCS playoffs. Because if you're not following that, North Dakota State is rolling along. They've got a shot at winning another national title. Because they are the top seed and they face South Dakota State in a semifinal game on Friday night. Now, the national championship game in the FCS schools is scheduled for January 5th. So, Kleinman will be taking over at Kansas State whenever North Dakota State gets knocked out of the playoffs. Kleinman agreed to a six-year deal with K-State that will pay him $2.3 million per year. He can get a $200,000 annual raise according to what K-State has released. now. Here's the question that I have about Chris Kleiman. When you're a coach, and just typically when you're in that sort of profession, you usually have, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a member of your coaching staff that you kind of bounce things off of, kind of an advisor. I know I had a number of those in my life where I'd say, hey, what do you think of this job? What do you think of this situation? What do you think of maybe me looking here or maybe me applying for this job? You would think Chris Kleiman has some of those advisors, don't you? And... I just wonder if those advisors have talked to Chris Kleiman and said anything like, hey, look, Chris, I know that somehow you have found a way to win at North Dakota State. Hey, impressive stuff. Really good stuff because Fargo, North Dakota is like an eyelash away from you being the head coach of like North Pole State's football team. But I'm telling you right now, as barren and desolate As Fargo, North Dakota is, I'm not sure you've really thought through this whole Kansas State thing. Like, you don't know what you're getting into going to Manhattan, Kansas. That's a whole different deal. Like, I know, hey, you're good. You're good. I'm not saying you're not good. But Kansas State, remember, there's only one guy in like 35 coaches that has ever done anything at Kansas State. And... That guy coached till he was like 97 years old, 
which makes me think, I don't know, he was doing something supernaturally. He was getting some sort of blood from infants. I don't know what was going on, but we know this. One coach out of a whole bunch of coaches has had success. Other than that, Kansas State hasn't been so good at playing football. Hope you know what you're getting into, Chris, because Kansas State has been horrible forever, except for one specific coach. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, this isn't a layup. Do what you need to do, but this isn't a gimme. Be careful taking that Kansas State job. I hope he had someone telling him that. Not just, hey, go get him. K-State's going to be great. It's Big 12 football. You'll do fine. I'm not so sure. I wish you the best, but it's going to be tough because that is a tough place to win. Moving over to a kind of bizarre story in Major League Baseball. Why are we talking Major League Baseball at this time of the year? Didn't we talk it yesterday? Yeah, too much baseball already. I'm already sick of Major League Baseball. Anyway, whoever ends up signing free agent reliever pitcher Adam Ottavino, hey, they're getting a guy that does not lack for confidence. I will say that. Assessing the state of the game on a Major League Baseball podcast, the 33-year-old right-hander said that Babe Ruth would not be able to keep up with today's game. Here's what Ottavino had to say. I had an argument with a coach in AAA about Babe Ruth's effectiveness in today's game. I said, hey, Babe Ruth with that swing, swinging that bat? Yeah, I've got him hitting 140 with maybe eight homers. He was like, are you nuts? Babe Ruth would hit 370 with 60 homers. And I'm like, I would strike Babe Ruth out every time. I'm not trying to disrespect him, you know, rest in peace, you know, shout out to Babe Ruth, but it was a different game. I mean, the guy ate hot dogs and drank beer and did whatever he did. It was just a different game. And look, I don't really want to go down that whole rabbit hole and try to break down whether or not Babe Ruth could play in today's game. Babe Ruth was nothing more than a fat old man with little girl legs. Well, I don't know if that's necessary or not. He could play a little bit. I mean, he could swing the bat a little bit, couldn't he? I don't really want to look at that. I don't want to talk about all the analytics and all the silliness of, well, would he be playing in the New York Yankees park today? Because I'll tell you what, if he was, that's a much shorter ballpark. I don't really want to get into that. It's a different era. I do always think that it's very, very unfair to those previous generations when we compare these generations because they didn't have the training and the equipment and all of the things that we have today. So sometimes that can be a little bit unbalanced. But I do have a feeling, like some sort of intuition, that if we brought Babe Ruth right now to 2018, he might be taken aback by other things other than Adam Ottavino's slider. Like, I'm not sure that would be the highest thing on his priority list. I would imagine there would be a number of things that would be shocking to Babe Ruth, not necessarily some, you know, reliever pitcher that bounced around from team to team. I don't think his focus would be there. I just have a feeling Babe Ruth would see things a little bit differently. I mean, he would be like, hey, now what are these horseless carriages everyone is riding around in? I think that might come up once or twice. Like he'd be looking around at that. Hey, what are these magic boxes that everyone carries around everywhere they go and they stare at incessantly? I'm not sure Babe Ruth would understand cell phones is what I'm saying, or cars. And I also have a feeling, just call it a gut instinct, that he might be looking around and saying, what do you mean there's only one drinking fountain these days? You see what I'm saying? It was a different world for Babe Ruth back then. Keep in mind, he only played against pink people. 
it might have been a little bit different if Babe Ruth came to play. The, I don't know how he would have done. I don't want to go down that. I'm just saying it's a little bit of a different world today than it was back then. A number of questions would be flying at Babe Ruth. He'd have a lot to process. It would be a tough transition for Babe Ruth. I will say that. Hey, coming back, we began to jump into basketball season yesterday. We took a look at some contenders and pretenders in the NBA this season. When we get back, we will switch over to the college game. Which teams can truly contend for a championship and which ones can't? So last year, the Villanova Wildcats won their second title in just three seasons. Now, they are going to have some work to do to get back to that level this year. But which teams are out there that actually are the contenders that should be in the hunt for a title? We've got a number of them. And on the other side, we also have a number of teams that you might want to hold off on penciling them into your March Madness brackets just yet. Like, let's just wait and see how it all goes because I have a feeling they might be pretenders. They might not even be making the NCAA tournament, but I certainly don't think they're going to be going that far. Let's look at some contenders and some pretenders in college hoops this year. Our first contender is probably the most obvious one because if you're talking college hoops this year, you aren't going to go very long without talking about those Duke Blue Devils and that incredible freshman class. And hey, it's not just hype. RJ Barrett, Zion Williamson, Cam Reddish, Trey Jones, they are as impressive a freshman class as we've seen in a long time. I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, they're the best freshman class ever. I'm not sure I buy that. But this is a very talented class. Having said that, can the Duke Blue Devils stumble this year? Sure, absolutely they can. There will be a learning curve at some point during the season. They've never played this many games. They've certainly never played this many games against experienced players like they're going to this year. They've never played this many games against as good of coaches as they're going to see this year. So there is going to be a curve for the Duke Blue Devils. The one thing I would say, you may want to catch this group early because they are just going to keep getting better, I think. If they stay healthy, yeah, the Duke Blue Devils can absolutely win the title this year. Moving over to a pretender, you know, one team that is usually a little bit sneaky to watch is Bob Huggins' West Virginia Mountaineers. Yes, they usually struggle to score points. But when they play that pressing, trapping style, it usually seems like they trip up a few opponents. They're just not ready for the relentlessness of what Huggins' teams do. And sometimes it seems like when they get to March, they become kind of a pain. But this year, I don't know if I like the look of this West Virginia team. And I'm not the only one. It's not just me. Head coach Bob Huggins looks like every single game he's about to rip the hair out of his head watching this team play because as good as his teams usually are defensively and as much as they usually force offenses into struggling and bad turnovers and not taking care of the ball this team can't defend anyone they're allowing 73 points a game and they haven't been playing high scoring teams they certainly haven't been playing the kind of teams they're going to see in the big 12 yeah i'm just not buying into the mountaineers this year i think they're a bit of a pretender Going back to contenders, you know, it used to be that the Gonzaga Bulldogs were that little mid-major that just might sneak up on you in the tournament. Yeah, not anymore. Mark Few took the Bulldogs to the national championship game two years ago, and hey, they might be even better this year. They've already beat Duke. They have a monster inside presence with Rui Hashimura, and they're getting very solid guard play. 
My concern from Gonzaga is always the same thing. They play in that West Coast Conference, and they don't always get tested. They're usually the favorite in every single game. They blow out most every single opponent that they see. But one thing that Gonzaga did this year, they really tried to stack that preseason schedule to test themselves. They've played Duke, Arizona, Washington, Tennessee. They still have North Carolina. I know that schedule is going to get softer, but I think the Zags will have been tested enough in the preseason. They're going to be a very, very tough out when it comes to March. Gonzaga is definitely a contender. Another pretender that I am not all in on are the Florida Gators down in the SEC. You know, since Billy Donovan left Gainesville, new head coach Mike Whitey's done a solid job down there. He has taken the Gators to the big dance the past two seasons. This year, yeah, it's going to be a lot tougher because the Gators are young. They're very inexperienced. And while they're pretty good defensively, they are really, really tough to watch on the offensive end. Mike White has to hope that their defense can keep them afloat. I just can't see them beating any of the top teams. They just aren't going to be able to score enough points. And as a result, I think that the Florida Gators are going to be a pretender this year. I've got another contender, and it is a team that I've told you before, I'm openly rooting for. I feel so bad for Virginia head coach Tony Bennett and for all those kids and for the entire program because the Virginia Cavaliers were the first number one seed to lose to a 16 seed in the history of the NCAA tournament. And as a result, no one's going to have any faith in them in the dance until they actually do something significant, until they actually win a bigger game than just getting by the first round. They're going to have to change everyone's mind now. But I'm telling you right now, Virginia is good. And no, they're not that impressive as individuals. They really aren't. If you watch Virginia, you'd look at them and say, I don't know if there's a single guy here that could even get off the bench for Duke. But combined as a team and playing the style of basketball they play under Tony Bennett, they're still undefeated this year and they've played some pretty good teams. And the thing that Virginia has been doing so far this year, they have been finding ways to win close games. If it is a dogfight, if it's coming down to the final shot, Virginia has found a way to win those games. And I know it's going to be tempting to write them off. See what they did last year? They lost to a 16. I'm telling you right now, Virginia is absolutely a contender this year. Got a team here though with a big name and with a lot of hype and publicity. And I don't think I believe it. Because you know, when we saw the Kentucky Wildcats get trounced by the Duke Blue Devils by 34 points to start the season, we all just looked at it and said, well, hey, maybe Duke really is the greatest team in the history of college hoops. And that all remains to be seen. Like, let's just kind of wait on that. But we know now it was also due to the fact that the Kentucky Wildcats have some serious concerns. Yes, they are insanely athletic. But when you watch this team, they aren't always disciplined in just doing their jobs, just doing some of the most simple things. They turn it over so much. When I watch Kentucky, I just see errant pass, pass flying over the head, not catching the ball, looking up, getting ready to make your move before you've ever caught it. Bad, sloppy decisions with the basketball. And they allow way too many open three-point shots from their opponents. And hey, at the college game, we're not talking about the NBA. That's bad enough. At the college game, for a lot of these kids, those three-pointers are not that far. These kids can knock those things down. You had better be able to defend the three-point line. Kentucky's not doing that. So far this year, in a year that, yes, they're going to be young. They've got a bunch of one and dones, 
but they're still going to be solid. They're still going to be pretty good. They have struggled with Southern Illinois. They struggled with VMI. And their win over UNC Greensboro, it was a lot closer than it looked. If you watch that game, you know they had to pull away late. That was a tight game. I am not buying Kentucky as a national contender this year. I just think they're too sloppy. We'll see if John Calipari can coach them up. But we kind of know how that's gone historically for John Calipari, don't we? Okay, the number one team in the country right now, the Kansas Jayhawks are, of course, a contender. They are no doubt good enough to win the championship, despite the fact that they lost some talented players from that team a year ago. They still have one of the top front courts in the nation. They are still actually undefeated this season. They beat Michigan State and they've already beaten Tennessee. And what's interesting to me about the Kansas Jayhawks, I really don't think they're playing that good yet. They've actually struggled with a few teams that are definitely inferior to them in talent, you know, because they're young. And a lot of young teams do that. They play down to the level of competition when they play lesser competition. And they play up to the level of competition when they face a better team. But I will say this, the Kansas Jayhawks had better get all of that cleaned up quick because Villanova and Arizona State are coming, not to mention a very challenging Big 12 conference schedule. But no question, Kansas is a team that can win it all. Moving back over to pretenders, you know, we've kind of just gotten used to Mike Bray's Notre Dame fighting Irish teams being pretty scrappy, stealing a few wins and advancing into the tournament and maybe even busting a few brackets once they get into the tournament. But right now, I'm looking at Notre Dame this year. I'm not sure they're even going to make the field. Last week, Notre Dame lost back-to-back games to Oklahoma and UCLA. Okay, that's not good news, but it's not horrible, is it? Well, here's the problem. Those aren't their only two losses on the season because those two losses come after they had already lost to, wait for it, Radford. What? Yes, Radford University beat Notre Dame. Now, I understand Notre Dame is extremely young, but they need to grow up very, very quickly because the ACC schedule is coming. And if Radford is beating you, then I promise you, the Dukes and the Virginias and the Virginia Techs and the North Carolinas and the Syracuses, oh, they can't wait until they get to play this year. If you lost to Radford, yeah, the ACC is going to have a field day with you when they get a chance. So right now, I would probably be looking at Notre Dame as being a pretender, not so much a contender. Hey, coming back, we have a few more college basketball contenders and pretenders to get to. And you know what? I've got a few blue blood programs coming and they aren't looking like contenders to me. So let's continue to take a look at a few contenders and pretenders this year in college hoops. And I'm going to give you a contender and it's going to sound a little bit funny because when I tell you the school, like they're not recognized year in, year out as being a contender in pretty much anything. They're not a national power kind of school, but I'm telling you right now, the Nevada Wolfpack can play with anyone in the country. Eric Musselman, very, very good coach, hard-nosed coach, coaches his kids hard. And this is a team loaded with seniors. They are very experienced. They are very, very smart. And that could make a difference when you get into March Madness and you are facing less experienced team. Again, my concern for Nevada is kind of the same concern I have with Gonzaga. They're going to most likely roll through the Mountain West and maybe not get as many tests as you would like them to have building up to March Madness. But 
Think about what Nevada's already done. They've already beaten Loyola Chicago. And they've already beaten Arizona State. Those are two solid wins. Now, the Mountain West is going to be a little bit softer. But Nevada is really, really good. They are a contender. I don't want to compare them to UNLV. But they're kind of UNLV-ish in a way that they don't come from that big conference. We don't really expect much from a Nevada. But Nevada this year, you better keep an eye on them because they are definitely a contender. Staying out West for our next pretender is a team that definitely has that blue blood name. But the UCLA Bruins, yeah, they've got a few problems. Remember last year, UCLA barely made it into the NCAA tournament. And then when they got there, they got bounced by St. Bonaventure in the play-in game or whatever those things are called. Well, that team that barely got in lost Aaron Holiday and lost Thomas Welsh. So now they've gotten even younger. Now they have some talent in the backcourt. They have sophomore Chris Wilkes. They have junior Prince Ali. But UCLA is going to be asking a lot from some very, very young players. You know, one thing that's kind of interesting about UCLA, they actually have Shaquille O'Neal's son, Sharif. He's not even getting on the floor right now. He's not even getting to play because he's a bit of a project. But I just think that UCLA is way too young and they're going to have to ask their young players to step up and be big dogs. And they're really not ready to do that just yet. Maybe next year. Steve Alford did bring in a solid recruiting class. I just don't think UCLA is a contender this year. Now, if I'm being honest, I, like most everyone else, thought that the Michigan Wolverines would have to take a pretty significant step back after that crazy run to the title game last year where they lost to Villanova. They went clear to the national championship game. But keep this in mind, they made that trip without ever facing an opponent higher than a number six seed. And then they lose Mo Wagner and Muhammad Ali Abdul Rahman too. So we all kind of thought, well, Michigan will be a little bit down this year. That hasn't been the case so far. This team can score with anyone, thanks to, of course, their head coach, John Beeline, and just how good he is at drawing things up and manufacturing points for his kids. Now, Michigan's defense could eventually become a problem, but hey, they've already beaten Villanova. They've already beaten North Carolina. They've already beaten Purdue. They are scoring a ton of points. We'll see if they hold up. But I think Michigan is going to be a little bit of a contender this year. And that is not what I expected at all going into the season. On the other side, the Miami Hurricanes have now gone to three NCAA tournaments in a row and have won 20 plus games in four straight seasons. But I'm not sold on this group this year. Miami lost guards Lonnie Walker and Bruce Brown. And we can already see it. They have now lost four games in a row just in the preseason. And the teams that are beating them they're not exactly murderer's row. In fact, there's even been some Ivy League schools beating Miami this year. That's not a good sign, is it? They've lost to Seton Hall. They've lost to Rutgers. They've lost to Yale. And they kind of got handled by Penn. Not Penn State. Penn. Four games in a row to not very good talent. Again, what does that mean when Miami starts playing those ACC teams that we know are coming? The Miami Hurricanes definitely look like a pretender this year. I've got one more contender for you, and I know we're not talking about football, but the Auburn Tigers finally made the NCAA tournament last year for the first time under their head coach, Bruce Pearl. They have one of the best backcourts in the country. With Bryce Brown and Jared Harper, they are a deadly, deadly duo. They can fill it up and score a lot of points, 
And we know that as you do get into that NCAA tournament, you need good guards. Good guards can control tempo. Good guards can get the ball to the right people. Good guards can handle it when things get tight and scary and tense. Well, Auburn has very, very good guards. Now, we all know whatever Auburn does this year, I mean, honestly, it's probably going to end up being vacated very, very soon, but don't worry about that. Let's just enjoy the ride while we can. Auburn, I believe, is absolutely a contender. Finally, I am going to give out our final pretender to a team that when I say it, you might just go, really? Come on, you're crazy. Is this some sort of bias? What are you, what are you talking about? They can't be a pretender. But I'm telling you this right now. I have watched the North Carolina Tar Heels a few times this year, and I do not like what I'm seeing from them at all. They got smacked by Michigan. They lost to Texas. But it's not even that. It's not even those two losses because we see teams lose and we know that during the preseason, you play out of conference and you see teams you're not familiar with. It's not that. It's the way North Carolina is playing. It's the way that they're losing. They look disjointed. They look selfish. They don't always play hard. Can you possibly even fathom a North Carolina team not playing hard? That just doesn't happen, especially under Roy Williams. And when I watch these Tar Heels, this looks like the kind of team that could get Roy Williams to retire and just be like, you know what? I've had enough. That is enough for me. Thanks. I'm out. They are very talented, but the North Carolina Tar Heels absolutely look like a pretender this year to me. Hey, tomorrow on the show, we will continue to dig into basketball season and look at some other teams that up to this point, we still haven't even talked about. You know, maybe, just maybe, we are going to be looking at some teams in the NBA and in college shoots that just might be lurking a little below everyone's radar. We will get to that tomorrow. You want to make sure you don't miss that. Hey, I have to say thank you all so much for listening to and for sharing the show. Thank you for the emails, the texts, and the tweets. Don't forget to go over to Public and finish up some of that holiday shopping that you know you need to get done. I have to say thank you to JSP. Could not do any of this without you. I will see you all tomorrow. Have a great Wednesday.